You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Man, I'm excited about what I want to talk to you about. We're going to be talking about making wise decisions. Making wise decisions. You know, I I really, really believe that God wants his best for his kids. Amen. God wants all of us experiencing the very best that he has to offer. And a couple of essential things that help that happen or, or move us into that best that God has for us is one, making wise decisions in life. And then secondly, I want to talk about having mentors in your life. Two key elements uh, for anybody at any age, really. It doesn't, this isn't just a young person message. This is a message that is, is for every single person. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 15 through 17 from Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is exhorting us here. And he says, starting in verse 15, Be very careful. Now, that would be something to pay attention to. You know, when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you need to be very careful. Well, that's, that's one, those are some adjectives there that really should get your attention and make you sit up and, and listen to what's about to be said. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is, is wisdom does things a certain way. It doesn't just do it anyway. There are certain ways that wisdom responds, reacts, thinks, moves, and that's the way that we want to come into agreement with so that we can be wise. Wise people make different decisions than unwise people. Can I have an amen? They just do. Wisdom observes. Wisdom pays attention, you know, especially for you younger uh, adults in the room. This is one of the things that I really got a hold of when I was younger. Wisdom observes other people. Wisdom pays attention. In other words, what is it that they are doing that is creating that good marriage in their life? What is it that they're doing that is causing them to be prosperous in their life. You know, they always have money. They reach into their pocket and they they just pull out cash. What is it that they're doing that is producing them having finances, being blessed in their life? See, there's a way things work, and here's the deal. You can do what you want to do, yes. We, we are all free in our country. God gave, made us free moral agents. We can all do what we want to do, anytime we feel like it. But you're not free to escape the consequences. Right? Because there's consequences to every decision that everybody makes. So you're free to make a decision. But I think the important question for all of us to ask, and I mentioned this the last time that I spoke, you have to ask yourself the question is, is it wise? Is this decision a wise decision? 
Every day we make decisions. We make decisions about fun. We make decisions about our entertainment, um, how we respond and, and treat people. Uh, we make financial decisions every day, career decisions, future de- decisions. So I, I want to talk about when it comes to making wise decisions, there, there's really two primary ways that we're moved in making decisions. And this is what I want to really focus my attention on in our time together. Number one, we make decisions based on wisdom, biblical wisdom. Or number two, we make decisions based on feelings, just feelings. So, so decisions based in wisdom are decisions based on knowledge of what is true and right coupled with, you know, discernment. That's wisdom. That's how God wants us living our lives. Decisions based on feelings are more of an emotional perception, right? An emotional attitude, an emotional response or reaction to things that we're faced with. So everybody's led by one or the other when they're making decisions. We want to be led by wisdom as God's kids when we're making decisions so that God can bless us to the greatest level that we're capable of being blessed at in that season of our life. So I, I just, just a little exercise, you're here tonight. Ask yourself, what is the primary way you personally make decisions? Is it through wisdom or is it through feelings? Are you led by God on every decision that you make or are you led by what you feel at the moment? See, do we seek to please God or do we seek to please ourselves in our decisions? Do we seek long-term results or are we looking at fulfilling immediate pleasure in our life? Do we submit to the will of God or do we submit to what feels good to us, what our flesh wants and it feels good, so let's, let's do it, right? You remember that, if it feels good, do it. Some of you that go way back, you remember that saying. So many of the blessings in our life are directly tied and proportional to the decisions that we make every single day. That's just the way it works. See, people just don't think right sometimes. I mean, you've probably heard this said, but guys, we've seen the death of common sense. I mean, I'm around people and I'm just thinking, where is your common sense? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Why are you watching that? What are you doing there? See, we have to ask, what is the right decision here? What do I need to do? Now, needs and wants have gotten very mixed up in our culture. I've run into a lot of people And what they classify as a need, people that are 40 years older than them classify that as a want. Well, I I need this. Well, do you understand the definition of need? You need food. You need water. You need sleep. You need shelter. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a vacation. You don't need expensive clothes and shoes. Those aren't needs. Those are wants, right? And so it's very important for us to to learn to discern when we're moving out of a need or out of a 
want. Turn with me to another scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you're with me, can I have an amen? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to go to verse 18. We're going to read a few verses together. Starting with verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So the foundation that we see here is that Christ is the foundation of wisdom. And a truly wise person is going to connect himself with Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. You're going to connect himself with him because within Jesus is all the wisdom of God. And so as we have Jesus living inside of us, now we have access, we have the potential to tap into this wisdom that we can get from the Lord. Can I have an amen? Now, a classic response and we've all probably done it. We're probably all guilty of it. Well, what's wrong with that? That statement, you know, what, what's wrong with that? You know, everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. What, what's wrong with buying that right now? What's, what's wrong with hanging out with them? What, what's wrong with watching that? What, what's the big deal about missing church? See, you're asking the wrong question. See, as we move in wisdom, we learn how to reframe questions that we think in our mind. In other words, don't ask what's wrong with something. Ask, is it wise? Is it wise? Is it wise? At this season of my life, is it wise for me to go buy that new car? In this season of my life, is it wise for me to spend money on that vacation? At this season of my life, is it wise for me to make this group of people my friend group that I run with and do life with all the time. It, it, where I am right now in life, the, the vulnerable position that I am in in life, is it wise for me to text this person back and forth? Are you hearing me, church? See, are your decisions based and influenced by wisdom or are they based and influenced on feelings? See, wisdom is always cautious. Wisdom's always cautious. Wisdom thinks things through to its logical conclusion. In other words, wisdom, it moves out of feeling instead of what just feels good at the moment, and it's able to look over the hill and say, okay, where is this going to end me up? If I do this now, ultimately it's going to take me somewhere. Where is this going to take me, and what is this going to produce in my life? See, wisdom recognizes there's a line. We all have a line 
Amen? There's a line in the sand that we all have. Now, yours may be different from mine based on, you know, your personal temptations and your personal struggles. You know, you have things that you don't struggle with, and I have things that that I do struggle with. And so, Everybody's got to determine that for themselves. So we all have this line. You know, we got to move beyond the biblical absolutes of don't kill, don't steal, don't murder, you know, to what's my line? And we find that line, and then we step back a safe distance from it. But, you know, I encounter a lot of people. That it's almost like you could just use this analogy to describe their life. It's like they're a scuba diver, and they dive down 100 feet deep, And they stay down there as long as they can until their oxygen is almost depleted and and they can still make it to the top. They can still get to the top. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's exhilarating. It's thrilling. It's certainly going to be an adrenaline rush in your life, but it can also get you dead. And for a lot of people, it's like they're, they're always up against the line. See, wisdom, it's cautious. Wisdom backs up from the line. Wisdom says, okay, there's my line. You know what? I think I'm just going to back up a few steps just to be safe, just to be careful. I want to look at a couple of situations in Scripture, um, and and I just want to kind of compare the differences in these two situations. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're all familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. Probably everybody has heard that story at this point. And then the other one is in Genesis 39 where Joseph is um, being pressured by Potiphar's wife when he was, you know, working for him. So in 2 Samuel 11:1 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out to the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. So here is a decision that is purely based out of what? Help me. Emotion. Emotion, lust, okay? Instead of acting on wisdom like he had in the past, he acted out of emotion of the moment. Now, if we go to Genesis 39, verse 10, we know the story of Joseph being there. I mean, he was the guy in charge of everything. He was blessed, but his, you know, Potiphar's wife kept trying to get him you know, to go to bed with him. And it says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. He kept out of her way as much as possible. See, David made decisions based on feeling, on fleshly appetites that caused him all kinds of pain. Now, now I'm sure in the moment it was awesome. I'm sure having sex with Bathsheba was great. I'm sure it felt really, really good. You know, I remember when my boys were coming up and they were young, and I would always tell them, guys, because I would hear parents, parents say to their kids, ooh, sin's bad, sin's bad, sin's awful, sin's terrible. Don't you do that. And I told my boys the exact opposite. I said, sin's awesome. Sin's great. It feels good. But the wages of sin are death. And there's just some sin that is just too costly in our lives 
we can't afford it because of what it will cost us. See, Joseph made wise decisions that blessed him and it blessed people around him. Ultimately, it elevated him to a place that God used him to save his entire family. I want to talk about some one, two, threes of wisdom. One, two, threes of wisdom. Those of you that are taking notes, number one, wisdom takes responsibility. Wisdom takes responsibility. You know, we can never move forward if we see ourselves as victims. And this is something that we see a lot in our culture today. A lot of people, they're, they're victimized in their own mind because it's everybody else's fault why I am and you add whatever it is that goes to the end of the sentence. Well, the reason that people don't like me is because, well, the reason that I don't have any money is because, well, the reason that I'm poor is because. There's always a reason. In other words, they're a victim. They're not walking in and taking responsibility for their life. See, Joseph understood what God wanted him to do. He didn't say, well, the reason is God is because of my brothers. Well, the reason is because of Potiphar's wife. Well, well, you know, the reason the cupbearer forgot about me. I asked him not to forget about me. I told him to remember me when he went before the leader and he, he forgot about me. You know, what did that have to do with Joseph's actions? Nothing, nothing. They were all true. It's just Joseph saw a bigger picture. Can I have an amen? See, he saw a bigger picture. Others' wrong actions against us, church, don't excuse us of our responsibility to do what's right. See, we have one thing that we're called to do in any situation. You do what's right. And then you've got to leave the rest to God. And it may not immediately turn out the way that you want it to. You know, for Joseph, he did what, right, did what was right and he went to prison. But Joseph wasn't living for the moment. He wasn't living for the feeling He had the long-term picture in mind. That's what he was looking at. See, taking personal responsibility for your life is a huge key to you being successful in your life. See, it's irresponsible to blame other people for our shortcomings. That's being irresponsible. It's irresponsible to say, well, it was the teacher's fault that I made the bad grade. I can't tell you the number of times working in education over the years that I've heard that statement said. It's, ir- it's irresponsible to blame our parents and to use how we were raised as an excuse for how we're acting in the moment. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that you didn't go through difficult things. I was raised in a, in a difficult home life. I mean, I would love to go back in a lot of things to be different, to have the nurturing that should have been there and a lot of the things that I walk through not to have to walk through. But at the same time, it's irresponsible for us to blame our parents for something that they did with us growing up as an excuse for how we are today. Because God has given us the power to take charge of our lives, especially through the power of the cross, amen, to overcome sin, to overcome bondage, to overcome habit patterns, and to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. So it's, it's irresponsible to blame your mate for how you respond to them. It, I can't say, well, the reason that I responded to you that way is because you said that to me. Now, does that, that doesn't make what they did right, 
But that doesn't excuse me to respond back to them in the same way they responded to me. Are y'all's toes kind of curled up right now? Are y'all feeling this pain? This is good. I, I went to a men's conference one time and there was a guy speaking and, and when it was over, this guy came to me and said, man, you just, I mean, you, 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 you hurt me, man. I mean, you stepped on my toes. And, and I heard the guy say, well, man, that's too bad. I tried to kill you. <clears throat> and the guy kind of looked at me and said, yeah, unless you crucify your flesh, you know, and the guy went, ah, okay, I see, I see what you're talking about. See, whenever you experience some sort of failure in your life, the temptation in the flesh will be to blame others for our circumstances, to blame others for our failure. Well, the reason I got fired is because. Well, the reason that I didn't get my homework turned in on time was because. And most of the time, We'll give any reason except ourselves. We'll point at everybody and everything except just take the responsibility. Wouldn't it just be refreshing to get in a conversation with somebody and they say to you, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll try to do better. Wow. Yeah, that would be refreshing. To hear someone say that instead of, well, the reason what happened was, well, 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 you do a whole lot worse than that. I mean, these are the things that we often hear. You know, I think about it. The bottom line is, if you were a great employee, they would have kept you. I've had people talk about getting fired. Well, they had it in for me. They didn't like me. I had a guy tell me he was fired one time because he made way too much money. Who fires their best employee? No, you don't fire your best employee. Have you ever seen a coach fired for winning the Super Bowl? No. Now, you've seen them be fired for not winning the Super Bowl, especially consistently over no, or not winning games, but not for winning. The, the reason the teacher gave you the C wasn't because she doesn't like you. It's because you didn't study. You watch Netflix instead. And that's why you got your C. See, wisdom takes responsibility. It walks in humility and it makes the necessary changes so that you can continue to move forward and to grow. Number two, wisdom considers the consequences when faced with temptation. Now, this is an important one, especially if you're younger and you're coming up as a young leader. Wisdom considers the consequences when faced with temptation. Wisdom looks beyond the moment, in other words. See, temptation's coming. It wants to stop you. It wants to stop your forward momentum. It's, it's going to be there. Now, it may come in the form of Potiphar's wife. It may come in the form of a Bathsheba. I don't know. But it's coming. See, David used his temptation as an opportunity to do wrong. Joseph used his temptation as an opportunity to do right. And I've always said, temptation is just as much an opportunity to do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing. There's nothing like winning out when you're faced with temptation. It's the most encouraging, awesome thing is when you get that win, when you're under that pressure to make a wrong decision and you make a right one. Man, there's nothing like that. Just so rewarding. It just feels so good to make that decision. So we can't get so caught up in the situation 
that we allow it to cloud our decision of what is wise and good for us to do. Temptation wants to lure you away from the blessed future that God has for you. See, God had a destination for so many people in Scripture, but then temptation came along and it detoured them off the path that God had them on. And one of the reasons that this happens is is because temptation really, it, it distracts and it causes us to lose a clear focus on the vision of how God wants to prosper us. And so we get tr- sidetracked over here on a rabbit trail chasing temptation when God's saying, wait a minute, you know, get your, get your compass realigned here. Get your focus back on the straight on there. Remember the scripture says, don't look either to the left or to the right, but look straight ahead. Let your focus be straight ahead. What are some other forms that our vision can be clouded? Well, I mean, it, friends can cloud good judgment. And you guys have heard me say this before, but you know, some of the worst decisions that I ever made in life, I wasn't with my enemies. <laughs> I was with my friends. As a matter of fact, some of the people that I look back in life that I wished I never had have met in life aren't my enemies. They were my friends that I did life with. So friends, you've got to be careful. They can cloud judgment. A crush on someone or this romantic feeling in a relationship can cloud judgment. It can happen. Addiction can cloud judgment. It can make you make unwise decisions, hurt, bitterness, unforgiveness. These feelings can cause you to make decisions that aren't going to lead you into a blessed life. Once again, wisdom sees the bigger picture, not just the moment. How will this affect my witness? That's what witness, that's what wisdom asks ask you. How will this affect my witness? If I do this, if I go here, if I respond that way, if I say this, how will that affect my witness? What, what, what's me watching this consistently? What kind of friend is that going to make me end up being? How's it going to affect me emotionally, spiritually, mentally, maybe even physically? And how will that affect my friends? How will that affect my family? Here's a good one. What impression will this leave on other people if I do this? This is, a, I think, a really good one for us to think about. You know, impressions may not be true, but it makes them appear to be true. And that's something that we have to pay attention to. It's like, what kind of impression, if you post that, what kind of impression is that going to leave about you? If you make that remark, if you give that comment, what kind of impression is that going to leave on people? Well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It just destroys your effectiveness. It takes away your ability to influence. You know, we've all had people lose credibility in our eyes just because of something that they said or something that they did. And, And their weight of influence in your life gets subdued in ways because of that. So it's so important We work so hard to have a witness, and we can destroy it with one unwise decision. See, one unwise decision. Remember, don't ask what's wrong with something. Ask, is this, help me, wise? Is this wise? And emotions are so strong in the moment of temptation. You know, like if you're in an argument with somebody, for example, they say that when you become angry, 
your IQ drops 50%. And, I mean, obviously that literally makes sense because some of the dumbest things I've ever said, I said when I was what? Mad. And we watch people, they take guns into schools and shoot people. They go into restaurants and they throw fits because they didn't get the size order of french fries that they wanted. Your IQ drops 50% when you become angry. So we have to understand how powerful emotions are. And so sometimes you have to say, look, you know, I need to step back from this. And, you know, let's talk about this in a couple of hours after I cool down. Let me go pray. Let, let me get a hold of, of God's heart instead of what my heart is right now. Or, or, you know, let's give this a little bit of time and let's cool down and we'll come back. See, we, we can take things personal. We cannot see the big picture. So we've got to come back to reality to make sure that we're walking in wisdom. Can I have an amen? Y'all getting something out of this? Number three, wisdom learns from those who are wise. Wisdom learns from those who are wise. I really feel like this is one of my strong areas in my life. Now, I have a lot of weak areas, and I don't like talking about those, so I'm going to talk about one of, my, one of my few strong areas. We can't move forward without looking to those who have already moved past where we are. And that's why I think it's so important to learn from people who are wise. Many times we go around the same mountain and it's because we've not asked or listened to people who have already been around the mountain. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be stubborn. You don't want to be a know-it-all. You want to be a a humble, teachable individual. So, you know, my wife and I, we didn't want to feel our way through marriage and we didn't want to feel our way through raising kids because, honestly, we didn't have some of the best examples set before us. We both came from broken homes, divorced families, and we just didn't have the examples that we, that we really needed. So we just thought, you know, why do that when we can learn from some people who know how to do it? And so we determined that, you know, we were going to learn to have a good marriage. We were going to work hard at having that. We were going to learn how to raise good children by looking to other people and learning from other people. So we went to many marriage conferences in the early years of our relationship. We went to many parenting conferences. I read lots of books. I listened to lots of podcasts, lots of audio books, learning. See, see, the worst thing that you can do is not ask for help. Not ask for help. Pride comes before a, help me, Fall. See, wisdom does things a certain way. Wise people make different decisions than unwise people. Forward movers make decisions that propel them forward, not backwards. So there's a way that things work. And and I want to encourage you to have and cultivate, and it doesn't matter what age that you are in in the room. So don't don't disqualify yourself because, you know, you're older in life. This, This is a principle that applies and works for everybody. But I want to encourage you to have and cultivate mentoring relationships in your life. Now, there are four important relationships in your life, four main relationships in your life. Number one, help me, God, right? Jesus Christ, most important relationship in your entire life. That needs to be the one that you invest the most effort, the most time, the most money 
the most resources into is that relationship. That is the one that matters more than any other one. Your second most important one is your mate or your main squeeze, whatever you want to call them. Your sugar, your honey, your whatever, your dumpling, whatever they are. The third most important relationship is mentors. And then finally, the fourth is friends. God, mate, mentors, and friends. Now, we all need mentors. Why? Well, Proverbs 27, 17 says, one man shapes another. And one says, iron sharpens iron. So the question is, who is sharpening you today, right now? Do you have mentors in your life? Whatever age that you are, doesn't matter. Every single one of us need to have mentors in our life. They're vital and they're important. Now listen, friends care what you think about them, but mentors don't. So don't confuse a friend for a mentor. A friend is a friend. A friend is not a mentor. Now, they can encourage you and, you know, you could be influenced by them clearly. But friends are in your stage of life. Mentors are not in your stage of life. They're in a different stage of life. So let's talk a little bit. What's the difference between mentors and friends? Well, mentors have been there. Friends are going there. They're with you, right? They're they're traveling on the same (laughs) path that you are. Friends can only assume while mentors can testify. They've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. They can tell you all about it. Friends, they just assume. They don't really know. They're kind of in the same position that you're in once again. In other words, if we use an example of a battle, friends are right beside you in the foxholes fighting where mentors, they've already fought that battle that you're presently in and have figured out how to win it and they can share with you some good tactics that can help you avoid getting shot between the eyes while you're out there in that foxhole. Does that make sense? So it doesn't matter how old they are. It matters what stage of life they're in. I want to say that again. It doesn't matter how old the mentor is. What matters is the stage of life that they are in. They can be four years older than you, or they can be 14 years older than you. They can be 24 years, 44 years older than you. That doesn't matter. The, the, the physical age is not what's important. They just don't need to be in your stage of life, and they don't need to be in your peer group because they're not meant to be a friend. You know, we have interns that come to our Applied Life Leaders Academy, and I let them know right off the bat, I am not here to be your friend. I'm not here to win a popularity contest with you. I'm here to be a mentor and a teacher and a role model in your life. That is my position. Now, I want them to like me, and I want to have fun and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know why anybody wouldn't like me, honestly, but that means I have had some that haven't. Doesn't matter how old you are, though. If you're in high school, for example, they need to be in college or they need to be in in their career. That would be a mentor in your life. If you're newly married, they need to be 10 years married. See, they've been doing it for a while. If you're you're middle-aged, they need to be a little older, you know, 10 years from you. As a matter of fact, I really think it's a good idea to have somebody 
you know, 10, 20 years older than you, somebody five years ahead of you, and then somebody about 10 years younger than you that you're pouring into the things that these people are giving you. See, 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, commit to faithful people who shall be able to teach others also. So the whole concept of, of discipleship is teach to teach to teach. And we really haven't done our job until we have had somebody teach us and then we teach somebody else and we make sure that they teach somebody else. So, so as a mentor, we're, we're being taught, we're teaching, and we're making sure that the ones that we're teaching are taking on somebody else that they can teach. See, that's, that's how we spread the gospel, amen? That's how the good news goes forward. But a mentor is critical in the life of a successful person. I mean, you just, abs- it's not something that you can say, well, you know, it's, it's like food. You, you, you have to have it. It's very important. Joshua had Moses. Elijah had Elijah. Paul had Gamaliel. Timothy had Paul. I mean, what area do you want to be successful in in your life? You need a mentor in that area. If you want to be good with finances, you find somebody who's good with finances. If you want to be good raising your kids, you find somebody that's already been through that stage. They've got very well-mannered kids that are doing great. You get with them and you get wisdom from them. You, you, you need some advice on career, get with somebody who's already established a career and they're doing well there. You, you need leadership ability, find somebody that's got an ability to lead and they've got those giftings and get around them. I, I, I bounce... So many of my important decisions in life off of mentors. Now, get this, I'm 55. I'm still bouncing decisions off of mentors that are 10 and 20 years older than me. It's just wisdom. See, it's wisdom, 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 wisdom. So let me give you a little bit of advice in getting a mentor. If you're here and you're like, well, you know, that's something that I definitely need to have. I don't necessarily have that in place. Uh, I feel convicted by what you're saying, Paul, but how do I, how do I go about doing that? Because I don't like to you know, just tell somebody this is what they need to do and they don't really know exactly how to do it. So let me give you a little bit of advice here. Number one, it's important for you to know, mentors will not seek you out. You seek them out. This is one of the biggest mistakes that I run into, especially with young adults. They think that a mentor is going to seek them out. A mentor is not most likely ever going to seek you out. Now, occasionally, it can happen. You know, if, but, but if I had somebody walk up to me and say, would you like me to mentor you? Mm, I, I would have to really know them well, you know, to, to say, sure. I mean, it couldn't just be anybody, right? I mean, it's got to be somebody that you know. So mentors aren't going to seek you out. That's not the way it works. My, my first piece of advice is, is you begin to pray. You lay a groundwork of prayer. God, you see what I need? I'm asking you to open a door. You bring a person into my life through circumstances to help grow me and move me into what you want me to become. Secondly, when you're considering a mentor, you want to make sure they have a good track record. And first off, they're godly. They're godly. They have a relationship with Jesus. They're, they're consistent in that relationship. They come to church. You see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. It's very evident. They have a good reputation 
with people. The Bible talks about this. They're hardworking. They're good with money. They're good socially. In other words, they know how to communicate. It's kind of kind of hard to have a mentor mentor you if they're, if they're you know, very self-absorbed or very timid and shy and won't ever say anything. You want to make sure that they're in church. So in other words, in all the areas that you want to be excelling in, you, you know, you see them excelling in these areas. Look for someone who has a good history of success. You know, I tell young people this all the time. Don't, don't just let anybody speak into your life. There's, you're going to meet a lot of people in life that have opinions. They're going to, to want to give you their opinions about things. You know, I remember when I was in, uh, starting out in Bible college, and there were some guys that were there, and, and you know, they, they, they were young guys, and they thought they knew it all. And we would go to class, and the teachers would talk. And, you know, I'm talking, these are teachers. They've been saved longer than these guys have even been alive. They've been walking with the Lord longer than they've even been on the earth. And they'll go back from class. Well, I just didn't agree with what that teacher said. And well, I don't, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're, well, you know, and they're pontificating in their room together, talking about how they, they disagree. And, and, and I, I don't know. I just had the ability to sit back and go, okay, I'm seeing the fruit that this teacher is producing. And I'm seeing the fruit that you're producing. Because just three weeks ago, you were smoking pot and in the back seat of the car with your girlfriend. Now, who am I going to listen to? See, we've got to be very careful because when we begin to listen and agree with people's opinions, we're going to be influenced by their philosophy of life. And their philosophy of life is always going to have a consequence to it. It's going to go somewhere and lead us somewhere. So always ask yourself, does their life work in the real world? Not just in theory. Not just look good on social media. But is, is life really working for them? Number three, a mentoring relationship is an unforced relationship, okay? It, it should happen naturally. And that's why I said start out by praying and asking God to open the doors. You shouldn't have to make time. It, it should be a fit. So don't, don't try to force somebody to be your mentor. It'll be natural. I can't really explain exactly how it happened with me and Tim, uh, many, many years ago. But, but one thing I will tell you, I was always where he was. I was smart enough to know if I want his advice and I want his life to rub off on me, I'm going to have to be where he is when he's there. <clears throat> so, you know, lots of times, because one, one of the things that you run into, and I've run into this with young people, they'll say, well, you know, I, I, I know I need a mentor. I would like them to be my mentor, but they're, they're really busy, and I don't want to bother them. They're just so busy. And I appreciate that, but my response to that has always been, would you want a mentor who isn't busy? Would it be a mentor worth having if they're not ever doing, if they're just sitting on the couch watching TV, what kind of mentor is that going to be? The fact of the matter is, is you want a mentor that's very busy because that means they're a person who is successful and they are doing things. So, so it's very important. You know, I've had people ask me, will you be my mentor? That's not how it works. Like I said, you start by praying and asking God to open a door and then God will begin to move in your life and it'll happen naturally. The fourth thing that I want to tell you about a mentor is there's a mutual benefit. There should be a mutual benefit between the mentor and the one being mentored. 
It, it has to be a give and take relationship. It shouldn't be all take on your part. There ought to be give and take. Now, I, I, I want to say this because I think this is very, very important. To draw a mentor into your life, you must be mentorable. So what does that mean, Paul? Well, I'll tell you one way to repel a mentor in your life is they give you advice and you don't go do it. I have people want to meet with me and I meet with them and they ask my advice and I tell them and then they leave and they don't go do any of it. And then you want to have another meeting with me. Guess what? I'm not really all that excited about our next meeting. I remember a preacher, he was a new preacher to a church, and he got up and he preached a sermon, and man, at the end, everybody said it was great. They all shook his hand on the way out. The next Sunday, he came in, and he preached the exact same sermon as his first Sunday. Everybody was kind of looking at each other, and were like, what in the world is this guy doing? Does he not know he's preaching the same sermon? But they were too embarrassed to say anything because he was brand new. And so at the end, they all shook his hand. Oh, pastor, great message. It was really, really good. Oh, thank you. The next Sunday, he came back. The guy got up for the third Sunday in a row, preached the exact same message. They thought, this guy must have dementia or something. He can't remember what he's doing. And at, and at the end of the service, when he finished, somebody said, uh, uh, excuse me, excuse me, pastor. And he said, yes. He said, well, I just want to know if you realize that for the last three Sundays, you preached the exact same message. And he said, oh, yeah, I know that I preached the exact same message. And as soon as y'all start doing this one, we'll move on to the next one. <clears throat> but sometimes, you know, we, we want advice, and we, but we're not willing to walk in the wisdom that we have in front of us today. Ask yourself, am I teachable? Am I living godly? Am I willing to work and grow? In other words, a coach and a player, for example, You'll hear players say, oh, you know, their coach's favorite. My answer to that is, yep, but there's a reason. You even say, people say, people used to say this about me many years ago when I was a lot younger. Oh, Paul, he's Tim's favorite. And my answer to them would always be, yep, I am. Because I do everything he asked me to do when he asked me to do it, and I get it done when he wants it done. Well, you're going to immediately be somebody's favorite, Right? I mean, that's just the way it happens. A musician and a leader, an intern and a professor. I mean, in any area of life, this will work. See, many people use the excuse of, well, I don't want to bother them because they're busy, you know, or whatever. Listen, you wouldn't want any other kind of mentor than a busy mentor, but you have to make sure that you're mentorable. Number five, ask the right questions at the right time. This is a good one. Don't overwhelm the person to the point that they want to avoid you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having meetings, but you can't have them five times a day. They're, they're not meant to be like a fortune teller for you. That's not the role of a mentor. Okay, tell me what to do next. Do I buy the white car or do I buy the red car? Well, do I buy these shoes or do I buy those shoes? Well, do I marry this person or do I marry that person? Do I take this job or do I take... That's not the role of a mentor. As a matter of fact, if, if you have a person in your life that's very controlling like that and they want to make every decision for you, you need to get away from that person. They're not healthy. Because as a matter of fact, one of the roles and the goals of a mentor is bring you into a place where you're, you're implementing these truths and wisdoms on your own. 
and you're moving into greater freedom on your own and you're taking what they've been giving you and now you're giving it to somebody else. Does that make sense? And lastly, be willing to change. Number six, be willing to change. Don't ask for advice and then never take it. That'll turn a mentor off really quick. I take 99% of the things that Tim tells me to do when it comes to advice. I mean, I really do, pretty much 99%. Nothing will turn off a mentor more than someone who doesn't put into practice the things that they are being taught. Well, I want to close with this. I went over a little bit tonight, but I knew we weren't having kids in, in children's church so we could have a little extra time. Aristophanes said this, youth ages... Immaturity is outgrown, ignorance can be educated, and drunkenness sober, but stupid lasts forever. You know, we want to be people who are wise. We want to be wise. 2021 can be a year of growth for you. It can be a year of moving forward, no matter what age you are. Wise decisions produce wise results. So what area is it? What area is your life that you've been getting the same bad result over and over and over? Is it in the area of your health? Is it in the area of your, of your emotions? Is it, is it an area of eating? Is it exercise? Is it in your finances? Is it in your career, in your relationships? What, what area have you been getting the same results over and over and over? I want to close with our original scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's absolutely essential that we walk in the blessings that God has for our life. And the way that we do that is that we walk in wisdom. Amen. Did y'all get something out of this? Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Stand with me. We'll pray together. Thank you for joining us on live stream and those listening by podcast. We're just praying God's blessings over your life. Father, we thank you. We loose the anointing of your Holy Spirit over our life. God, go before us and help us to be wise in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.